I know that we all realize this morning that life is filled with a great number of choices that are to be made. For instance, your being here this morning lets me know that at some point in your life, whether it be decades, years ago, or perhaps even this morning, that you made a choice to worship God faithfully today. I know that because you are here. And in doing that, I can assume other choices may have been made. Because you are not here this morning by complete accident. It's most likely the case that perhaps on last evening you maybe set an alarm clock that would awaken you this morning just in time to get ready to be here for worship. And then when you rose up out of your bed, you had to make a choice as to whether or not you might take a shower or a bath or, or maybe to do nothing. Maybe you do that on the evenings and so that was already taken care of on the night before. And that was your choice to make. You then in turn made a choice as to what you might wear. Women, you may have gone to your closets and chose between dresses and skirts and maybe even wore a pair of pants. Men, you may have gone to your closets and chose between wearing a dress shirt, if you will, or a polo, and maybe you added a tie to that, or perhaps you even wore a suit to come and worship God today. And that would be your choice. But these choices are basically insignificant. Because when you think about the scheme of all of our lives, there are choices that are made, especially when we are younger in days, that are much more important. For instance, a young person might choose whether or not they will one day marry. And they in turn would choose who they would marry, what type of mate they would select. And the selection of that mate could be very important because ultimately the selection of that mate might lead you closer to God and it might lead you farther away from him and ultimately could take you either to heaven or hell. The choice that was made whether or not you would have an education Go to a college, a place of higher learning, a university. That choice for you was very important. The type of career, the type of home, the city in which you might live, all of these things were very important to you. And perhaps you've not made those choices yet, but you one day will, and they'll be important then. But those choices, as serious as they are, and as great as they are in comparison to what you might wear, what time you may awake to come to worship, those are still insignificant, both of those groups, compared to whether or not you will choose today to serve God. I don't mean to be here to worship him. I mean to choose to serve him and to take heed to his all-inspiring beckoning call and as to whether or not you'll live your life faithfully today. You know our Lord encourages us to make that choice. In Matthew chapter 7, our scripture reading from a moment ago, beginning in verse 13, so the words of Jesus are recorded and says, Enter ye in at the straight gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the way that leadeth unto destruction, and many there be that go in thereat. Verse 14 says, Because straight is the gate, and narrow is the way that leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. Do you realize when men divide men, they typically divide them upon all sorts of planes? For example, when men divide men, they might speak of an upper class and a middle class and a lower class. 
They might speak of other men and say, well, this group of people, they're educated, while yet another group is uneducated. They might speak of one group and say, well, this group is rich, while this group is poor. They may take the races and divide them up and say, well, basically our country's made up of black and white and Hispanic and all nationalities and races. And they may divide men along those planes, but when they divide them, what they're really attempting to do, in my mind at least, is to divide them horizontally. You see, they're hoping to place some group above another, at least place another group perhaps beneath some other. You know God never divides along that plane. God doesn't divide men horizontally nearly as much as he divides men vertically. Because if you go into the text that we have at hand today, you'll see that the Lord in the description here in verses 13 and 14 talks about two travelers. He speaks of one traveler who on the one hand chooses a wide gate, one that's very easy to enter in, a path perhaps that is even easy to navigate through. And that wide gate leads him ultimately to destruction. Now that's a soft and kind word for hell. On the other hand, he talks about another traveler who makes a totally and entirely different choice, but he chooses to enter into the straight, a narrow gate, one that we'll talk about later, is more difficult to enter in, a path that is more difficult to navigate, and in doing so, he will choose a reward called heaven. And that's the way Jesus divides it. He doesn't speak of a third or a fourth or a fifth group. He says there's the one way and then there's the other. But not only does he speak of two travelers in the same context, you want to look at it, chapter 7 and verse 17, he speaks of two trees. Because in the context of talking about the false prophet, he says, even so every good tree bringeth forth good fruit, but every corrupt tree bringeth forth evil fruit. What are you saying, Jesus? Jesus is saying, therefore, that there are those who are good and they bring forth good fruit, There are those who are evil, and therefore they bring forth evil fruit. But when men look at that, they say to Jesus, well, Jesus, that's kind of narrow-minded, you know. There are some people in the world who are basically good people. They don't necessarily do everything right. They don't necessarily always do or choose the good, but they're still good people. Jesus said that's not true. You're either good or you're evil. You're either bringing forth good fruit or evil fruit. And that's the way he divides it. He said there's two travelers. He says there's two trees. You go a little bit farther in the same sort of context here in Matthew chapter 7, and he even says that there are two tradesmen. Look with me in verse 24. Jesus says, Therefore, whosoever heareth the sayings of mine and doeth them, I will liken him unto a wise man, that's a tradesman, one who builds a house, which built his house upon a rock. You drop down a little bit farther into this, and he says in verse number 27, he says, And everyone that heareth these sayings of mine, and doeth them not, now that's different from what we saw above, but everyone that doeth them not, he says, shall be likened to a foolish man who built his house upon the sand. You say, well, that can't be right, Jesus. That's to be narrow-minded, Lord, because you see, sometimes there are people who are really wise in most things, and they just make some bad decisions, and therefore they make mistakes. 
Well, that may be true from a human perspective, but from God's perspective, he said you're either a wise man or you're a fool. You're either building your house upon the solid rock of him and his foundation, or you're building upon the sand. That's perhaps why the parallel passage, in my mind at least, to all of these might be John 14 in verse 6. Because you might remember the words of Jesus there. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man, not one man, cometh unto the Father but by me. Now some read those words and they say, oh, now Jesus, you must be confused because you see, there are many world religions out there and the majority of these world religions not only worship in a different way, but they worship an entirely different God and they believe that there's several different ways in which one might go to heaven. Well, some might say that, but Jesus would disagree. And therefore, by Jesus disagreeing, they would in turn accuse him of being narrow-minded. If Jesus was narrow-minded in that, I'm certain he would have been narrow-minded in Matthew chapter 16 and verse 18. Likewise, when he looked to Peter and said, Upon this rock I will build my church. That's not plural in nature, that's singular. You mean Jesus with all the, quote, churches that are available to us, all the various faiths that are available to us on nearly every street corner in America? Do you mean you only built one? Well, the Apostle Paul realized that, and I suppose by this same standard, perhaps he might be narrow-minded. Because in Ephesians 4 and verse 4, he told those at Ephesus that there was but one body. In chapter 1, verses 22 and 23, he had already clarified that that body was the same and equal to as the church. So if Jesus only built one, and if there be only one, and that one body is the church, and if Jesus said the only way that one can come to God is through me, then some may accuse that all of these people are narrow-minded. And I'll tell you the truth about this. When a gospel preacher, a Bible class teacher, or just a Christian in general, sometimes in our modern society, suggests that there's only one way to heaven, and that's through Jesus, they're called narrow-minded. Friends, that's not narrow-mindedness. We do not apply that in any other area. Let's suppose for just a moment that you went down to your local banker this morning, and maybe you're preparing to buy some gifts for the holidays. And so you went down to the banker and you asked him or her that was behind the counter and you said, I need to withdraw X amount of dollars so I can go out and buy some gifts. I want to draw that out of what we would call the Christmas Club account. Now suppose the banker looked you in the eye and said, I'm sorry, sir. I'm sorry, ma'am. You don't have those funds to withdraw. And you said, oh, no, I'm certain that I do because all year long, all 52 weeks leading up to this, I've been putting a certain amount in every week, and it's added up to this amount. Now I want my money. And he said, well, I understand that. But, you know, here at our bank, we like to be very open-minded. We don't want to be seen as being narrow-minded, so here's what I've done. When you've made certain deposits, sure enough, I've put that money directly into your account. But other deposits, because we don't want to be narrow-minded, you see, we have not only placed in your account, but in other accounts. We just kind of spread your money around between friends, and we kind of let your money go where it may. 
Now, would you step back from your banker's counter and say, well, I appreciate your open-mindedness, and I'll just take what money I have today. No, you wouldn't do that. You want the banker to be narrow-minded. Now, let's turn the scenario around a bit. Let's suppose you go to your doctor, and you're not feeling well, and your doctor looks at you, and he sees all the symptoms there, and he said, well, I'm not really sure what's wrong with you. You might just have a swollen foot. You may have cancer. You may have heart disease. You may have this. You may have that. The symptoms are all over the board. And so I'll tell you what we're going to do. We're going to treat you as if you have all of these diseases, and perhaps we'll do you some good. And suppose he says, I just want to do this so that I can maintain a certain level of open-mindedness. Would you accept that? No, you'd stand back and say, Doc, you're going to have to narrow things down a bit. <laughs> I can't do that. But suppose you fell for it. You went down to the local pharmacy. And you handed the pharmacist there a few prescriptions. And he looked at those prescriptions. And he held them up in front of you. And he said, look, I can't really read this chicken scratch. I can't tell what the doctor's wanting here, what he's trying to treat. I'm not sure, but I'll tell you what, I've got a lot of pills in the back, and they're all white, and they're all the same shape. They're various sizes, of course, and they're made by various companies, but I'm not sure exactly what the doctor's after, and I don't want to be seen as being narrow-minded. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to get a bottle, and I'm going to fill it with various pills, all that look similar, and you just take whatever ones you want, and we'll see how things work. You'd step back from the pharmacy counter there and say, pharmacist, you're going to have to be narrow-minded here now. I want only the prescriptions that have been prescribed to me by my doctor. So we want those people to be narrow-minded, do we not? Then why, when some good, faithful child of God opens God's word and brings us to passages such as we just mentioned, John 14 and verse 6, Matthew 16, verse 18, Ephesians 4 and verse 4, Ephesians 1, 22 and 23, and a numerous selection of others, and describes to us such as in our text that there is only one real choice that can be made, one that can lead to heaven. Why would someone accuse you of being therefore narrow-minded? So what do we say? Well, we're really just establishing the principles behind the idea that there is a decision that we must face. Now, what is that decision? Well, I want you to realize in everything you have the freedom to decide. Even right here, as much as our Lord Jesus Christ would desire of us that we take the straight and narrow, the old S and N, that we take that to heaven, as much as he desires that, he gives us an other option. He allows us to make a choice all on our own as to whether or not we'll follow the path that will lead to heaven or whether or not we'll follow numerous paths that eventually lead to hell. Because we have the freedom to decide. And you always have that. There are many in the world who have the freedom to decide and therefore they choose whether or not to love our Lord or hate him. You had the freedom to decide and so basically you would choose either to receive him or to reject him. Some would choose to crown him while others would choose to crucify him. 
Basically, you choose to be a saint or an ain't. You choose whether or not to follow God. But I want to tell you, even though you had the freedom to decide, you likewise are involved in the forcing of decision. Someone says, well, I don't want to choose today, preacher. You're calling on me, and the text is calling on me to decide today, at this moment, if I want to follow Jesus or not. Or maybe for the child of God, you're calling on me whether or not I want to continue to follow Jesus and follow him more faithfully tomorrow than I have been in the past. And I'm not sure if I'm ready to decide. Well, you have to decide. You're forced into decision. You're in Matthew chapter 7. Turn with me just a few pages over to chapter 12. In Matthew chapter 12, we've read this verse before. It'll seem familiar to you. But in verse 30, this is Jesus speaking, and he says this. He that is not with me is against me. And he that gathereth not with me scattereth abroad. What do you mean, Lord? Jesus says there is no middle ground. There are many who claim with their mouth that to be with Jesus, but their actions do not reflect the same. There are many who say, oh, I love Jesus, and I would never do anything to be against him. I'm not against the Lord. I'm not against my God in any way. But you are either with him, and that means you're on board for the full ride. You're ready to participate and be involved and to follow every commandment of his, or you are against him. Again, you might accuse that of being narrow-minded, but you would be wrong. He also said in the same verse that you're either gathering with him or you're scattering abroad. And therefore, we could apply that to the church and say, as a functioning church member, you are either doing the work of the Lord or you are not. Someone says, well, I serve God in this area and that area. I don't always serve him in all areas. He said, then you're scattering abroad. Your influence, your example that you're setting forth in the community that really reflects itself upon the church is not what it ought to be. So although you had the freedom to decide, there's likewise the forcing of decision. And I'll tell you something else. Eventually, it will lead you to the fruits of your decision. Imagine with me for a moment, just by illustration's sake, that a young man and a young woman, perhaps they are unmarried, and they come together in a relationship, and you know what I mean by that, and before long, they, they notice that the woman is with child. Now, they've made a choice at some point to have that type of a relationship, and now she is with child, and obviously that was their choice to make. Not that it's right in the sight of God to fornicate, but they had the choice that they could make as whether or not to have that type of relationship or not. Now, suppose that they have. Now they're in the midst of the forcing of decision. They have to decide what they're going to do with this baby. And many couples in this point in time, they say, well, I'm not sure if I'm going to choose to have this baby or not. Let me tell you something. You can't choose to have 
a baby or not. You can choose whether or not you will have a dead baby or a live baby, but you can't choose whether or not you'll have a baby. Not once the previous choice that was free to you has been made. Once that choice is made, you're forced into a decision, and that decision will bring forth a certain type of fruit. That's all there is to it. Imagine with me for a moment that you are an alcoholic, and you have been involved in partaking of alcoholic beverages for some time. Now, you had the freedom to do that. According to our local government, if you're 21 years old, that's your choice to make. Whether God would stand against it or not, we had the freedom to decide. Now, at some point in your life, you're going to be forced into making a choice. You may have chosen to drink, but now you're coming out of that bar and you're staggering. You can't hardly walk, let alone drive, but you're forced into a decision as to how you're going to get home. And if you, in turn, get into that car and turn that key and start that engine, you are eventually, at some point, going to meet with the fruits of your choice in that you may end up head-on with an 18-wheeler or you may end up on the side of the road head-on with an oak tree. And it could result in the loss of your life or that of someone else. It's the fruit of your decision. Perhaps you're one that takes part in the use of tobacco products, cigarettes, chewing tobacco. Some point in your life you made a choice to start. Maybe it was an example that was set before you, a parent or grandparent, someone that was around you that influenced you to begin. And at one point, you had a choice. Now you're in the midst of the forcing of that decision because you're addicted now. You really got to make a big, big decision now as to whether or not you're going to continue in that. And if you do, there will be the fruits of your decision. What do I mean by that? Well, basically, those who take hold of tobacco products, cigarettes in particular, statistics say there is a 100% chance that you will die one day as a result of that use. It may be heart disease. It more likely would be cancer, whatever that it is. But at some point in your life, you will meet with the fruits of your decision. And there's nothing any different in that, really, than there is our spiritual life. You have the freedom to choose. You can choose the broad way that leadeth unto destruction, or you can choose the narrow way that leadeth unto life. That's your choice. But eventually you'll be forced into a decision. And to say that you are not going to decide in spiritual things is not possible. Again, Matthew 12 and 30, you're either with me or you're against me. Someone says, I don't want to choose to serve God today. Then you just made a choice, and what you chose to do is to not serve God today. And you'll meet with the fruits of your choice. He even mentions one of them here in that it is destruction. And he said there'll be many that'll go in that gate and meet with destruction. But not only do we want to mention today that there is a decision that we must face, I likewise want to remind you there is a direction that we must follow. Again, the scriptures say, enter ye in at the straight gate. 
For wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leadeth unto destruction, and many there be that go in thereat, but because straight is the gate, and narrow is the way that leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. Notice when we mention this under the heading of a direction we must follow, notice with me the narrow way, for example. And notice with me that it is a disciplined way. There are three words in your King James translation here. You can mark them in your Bible if you choose to do so. Begin there in verse 13. He says, enter ye in at the straight gate. Underline the word straight. Drop down to verse 14. He says, because straight is the gate. Underline the word straight. And then likewise in verse 14, he says, and narrow is the way. Underline the word narrow. Because when we interpret the word straight, straight, and narrow in from the Greek language to the English, they all come forth from the same original word, and that is the Greek word streno, or streno. And the word streno, or streno, implies something, and which where we get our English word, strenuous. That means difficult. And so, friends, I want to be honest with you today. I beg, I pray as the Lord would, that you would enter into the straight and the narrow gate, but I will not hide behind the fact of telling you that it's going to be anything easy. Someone says, well, I've been living the Christian life for X number of years, and it's easy. Many of you are here today, I'm certain. Some at least are here, and you think to yourself, well, in comparison to where I was and where I am now, this is the easy life. And I'm glad that you think that. And that's, that's okay. And I hope for you that it has been that way. But realize that there will be times of difficulty that you will face because you're in the way, the straight and narrow. So notice it is a difficult way. But not only is it a difficult way, it is a different way. You go back and look at the terms. We'll see them again in a moment. But he says concerning this wide gate, this broad way, the easy way, the easy way to go, he said there'll be many that go in thereat. But concerning the straight and narrow, he says there'll be few, underline that word in your minds and hearts, There'll be few that find it. Why is that? Because it's different. It's not the way the majority of the world would live their lives. One of the biggest mistakes I've ever seen anyone make, including self, I'm pointing at myself first, in life is that they try to measure morality by the majority. They try to say, well, what is the world doing about this? What is the average man or woman on the street? And even sometimes we mistakenly say, what does the average Christian do in this area? Because whatever the average Christian does certainly must be what I ought to do. That's no way of measuring morality. We've got to measure it according to God's word. Because the average person in the world, or even the average Christian, sadly to say, may not be living up to the standard that God had established in his holy writ. It may not be. And so you have to live a different life, different from perhaps the majority of the people that are around you. And why is it different? Well, you can notice to begin with it's different because of its cause. 
There's a different source behind this way. This is not the way of the world. This is not the way of men or mankind. This is the way of God. God is the cause or the establisher of this way. Therefore, it is different. But not only can you know there's a different cause, you ought to notice there is a different course. Out of all the paths that man can travel that will eventually lead them to hell, and you can basically do anything and end up in hell, out of all those paths that you can travel, this one is different in its course in that he says it is the straight and the narrow way. Now, that doesn't imply that it's straight as far as it's like a straight line. It implies, again, it's difficult, but yet it's very, very different. From what the world would know. It's different in its cause and its course. And I'll tell you friends. Ultimately it's going to be different in its conclusion. This is the way to heaven. Not only should we see it as a disciplined way. It is a different way. I'll tell you something. And I want you to hear this today. If you hear nothing else. It is a delightful way. That's not necessarily stated in our text that we've read time and time again this morning. But I'll tell you, if you go back and you look at the prophetic statements that are made seven or eight hundred years, perhaps even before this record is said and recorded by our Lord, if you go back to the book of Isaiah, for instance, go back, if you would, if you've got your Old Testament, go back to Isaiah chapter 35. Before the way was ever really available to man, in Isaiah chapter 35 and verse 8, Isaiah spoke of it and he said, And an highway shall be there, and a way it shall be called, the way of holiness. Now that's why I would call this the holy highway. But he says, And the unclean shall not pass over it. But it shall be for those, the wayfaring men, though fools shall not enter therein. Verse 9, And no lion shall be there, nor any ravenous beast shall go up thereon. It shall not be found there, but the redeemed shall walk there. Look at verse 10 now. And the ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with songs of everlasting joy. Do you see those words? They'll return with everlasting joy upon their heads and obtain joy and gladness and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. Friend, I want you to know that this way is a delightful way. Why? Well, the prophet tells us. Basically, you look at the text back up in verse 8. He says it is a delightful way because, number one, it is a clean way. Notice he says there in that text, this is the way of holiness, and the unclean shall not pass over it. Now, I know you don't typically want to think this way, and I don't either, but we must admit there are times in our lives when the sins of this world or the sins of others become, for lack of better terms, an aggravation to us. We are at the very least displeased or discouraged by the sins of others. And sometimes we're just outright aggravated. And we might sing a song such as we do here often and sing of what it will be like when we all get to heaven. And what we're really talking about is that when we get to heaven, not only will we have our reward, but in turn we will not have to deal with the sins and the tears that flow forth from this world. 
because the unclean, the sinful, the vulgar, whatever you want to call it, none of those things will exist inside of heaven. So no, it is a delightful way because it is a clean way. But I'll tell you something else about it. It's a delightful way because it is a certain way. Now you may miss this because I've missed it time and time again as I've read this passage. But if you'll notice there in verse 8 he says, And the highway shall be there and a way and it shall be called the way of holiness and the unclean shall not pass over. Watch this now. But it shall be for those, the wayfaring men, though fools, shall not err therein. What do you mean, Isaiah? To put it in terms that we can understand, he basically said you won't stumble into heaven. It's a certain way. You won't get there by accident. Perhaps you've seen the track, for instance, and I know various denominational groups have tracks such as this also, so you have to be careful. But maybe you've seen a track put out by the Lord's Church, and it says there on the front, and it asks the question, what must I do to be saved? And on the front of the page, it might just simply have the scripture references for here, believing, repenting, confessing, being baptized, and remaining faithful. That's how man is saved. There's scriptural evidence for that. That would be true. But oftentimes on this track, if you turn it over, it asks a similar question, although much different, and says, what must I do to be lost? And a few of these tracks I've seen has a blank box with nothing in it. Because that's how you can be lost. You do nothing. You disregard everything. You disregard every invitation. You go and you live life, if you will, high, wide, and handsome. You do what you want to do. And you can be lost. And you can stumble upon that. But you will not, my friend, according to Isaiah, you will not be a fool or just a wayfaring wanderer and stumble onto the way that will take you to heaven. It is impossible. So we have a delightful way, number one, because it is a clean way. It is a certain way. I'll tell you something else about it. It is a confident way. Verse 9 said, And the lion shall not be there. Now Peter says Satan is like a roaring lion, walking about seeking whom he may devour. But he says, and the lion shall not be there, nor any ravenous beast shall go up thereon, and it shall not be found, but the redeemed shall walk there. Now what I'm saying is this, as long as I stay in the way, I'm safe. Now some want to argue that. They say, oh no, Satan's going to come after you. He's going to get in the way with you. And he's going to stand in your way. And sin's going to become a stumbling block for you. And you can try to apply all that you want. But that's not what the prophet said. He said the lion and the ravenous beast will not be there. They're not allowed in the way. If I'm walking on the straight and narrow path. And I'm continuing on it. I can be confident that I am safe where I am. A couple of years ago, it's part of what we do. I suppose during the fall, we go to football games. And we always make it a point to go to the Philly Neshoba game. A couple of years ago, the Neshoba game was over at the Neshoba High School. And if you've ever been there, you know how crowded that place can be on any given Friday night. And you know how the parking lot and such is laying out. And you typically have to park a long way from there. 
And I can remember the ball game was over and we were walking down the road there and there were several cars coming by there as the field was beginning to empty out. And I kind of got a little apprehensive. One of the cars seemed to got a little close to me as I was walking down the road. And I just stepped out of the road for safety's sake. So I thought I can step out of the road and I'll be safer than I would be in the road. And I stepped right out. Now, I didn't take two or three steps. And my foot went in a hole just about up to my knee and I fell flat on my face. Flat. Why did I fall? Because I got out of the way. Would I have fallen on the street? Not likely at all, no. There weren't any real holes, no real potholes, nothing to stumble on there in the street. I was safe in the way, but when I got out of the way, I encountered a problem. That's what happens when a child of God falls out of the way of God. They encounter a big problem called Satan and sin. And so, friends, there is a direction we must follow. This direction is a disciplined way. It is a different way. It is a delightful way. And it's one prepared for you today. But back to our text. Jesus said, enter ye in at the straight gate. For wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leadeth unto destruction, and many there be that go in thereat. But straight is the gate, and narrow is the way that leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. Again, focus on those two words, many and few. Because not only is there a decision we must face, is there a direction we must follow. Finally this morning, there is a destiny we must find. We have to meet with destiny. We have to make our choice even now. Because when we think about these roads, one thing is implied in the text, although not clearly taught, but it meets itself physically. We can see it. Every road leads somewhere. Someone may argue with that, and they say, oh, no, I've turned down a road on one occasion. I went all the way to the end. I saw a big sign that said dead-end road. Then that's where it led. It may not have led to a place on the map. It may not have led anywhere that was any use to you, but every road leads somewhere. Now, here's where I want you to ask yourself a question, and this is one of those questions I've written in the front of my Bible to remind me to ask myself this question every day. Question simple and it's clear. When I get to where I'm going, where will I be? When I get to where I am going, where will I be? I'm not asking that if you get to where you were going 10 years ago when you first obeyed the gospel. I'm not asking you to answer the question, where will you be if you change your life tomorrow? Where will you end up? I'm not asking that. I mean right now, just setting aside, we'll talk in a moment about the possibility of change for you today, but I'm asking you right now as you sit in these pews or stand, if you get to where you are going today, where will you be? Heaven or hell? Be honest about it. Because there are various roads. And because of that, there are various rewards. 
there is a destiny we must find because of the roads and the rewards. What are the rewards? We must know that it may be a fearful destiny for you. Do you realize that Jesus Christ spoke more about hell than any given Bible character and or writer of all of the Bible? Many times we in the church are attacked. Preachers even in the church are attacked for talking about hell. They say that's negative preaching. There's no place for it. It ought not be discussed. But Jesus Christ, as loving and caring and considerate as he was, a part of that love, caring concern was that he spoke about hell. And when Jesus spoke of hell, he spoke of hell as a torturous place. Remember on one occasion he's speaking there and he uses these words, depart from the curse into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. Basically he said that the hell that we know about because of his word is not even meant for us, but it's certainly where we'll end up. So for many of us, it is therefore a fearful destiny. Heard a true story supposedly several years ago of a man. He was an alcoholic and he would basically just go from town to town looking for the best bar in town. And he went into a certain town and he heard of a bar that was located somewhere in that town. And the name of the bar right there on the sign was the Gates of Hell. There was even a caricature of Satan there upon the sign. And he stumbled around that city for a while. He couldn't ever come up with anything, couldn't find the bar. And finally, I guess out of ignorance, he approached a police officer that was standing on the corner. And he asked the police officer very plainly and boldly, he said, can you tell me how to get to the bar called the Gates of Hell? police officer said, sure, I, I suppose I can. And he told him, well, you go down such and such an avenue and take a left and take a right on such and such a street. And he said, when you head down that street, go several blocks, and there on your left, you're going to find a church building. And on the sign, you'll read these words, the Calvary Church of Christ. He said, there'll be a big cross on the sign. And when you see the Calvary Church of Christ, go past Calvary, and at the end of the road, you'll find the gates of hell. Now, whether or not that actually be true or not, I'll tell you this. Every time a man, including self, goes past Calvary, I mean disregards Calvary, fails to see the blood that was shed, when I go past Calvary, I eventually end up at the gates of hell. And that is, my friend, a fearful destination. But for some, it will be a fabulous destination. You can take the time to read Revelation chapter 21 and 22 and throughout the text the subject will flop back and forth between heaven and hell, the saved and the lost, but a large majority of that will describe to you how beautiful heaven is. We sing a song, how beautiful heaven must be. You can find out in God's word. And it is nothing but a fabulous destination. But friend, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter for you if your path that you are choosing today through this text that we're reading here, Matthew 7, 13, and 14, it doesn't matter whether you're choosing the broad, whether you're choosing the narrow, whether you're choosing the fearful destination or the fabulous destination, I'll tell you what you're doing today is you're choosing your final destination.
without a shadow of a doubt, you're choosing your final destination. Turn with me, if you would, if you have your Bibles, over to Revelation chapter 22. Revelation chapter 22 lets us know just how final death and, and such like can be because in verse 11 he says, and the unjust, let him be unjust still. He goes on to say, and that which is filthy, let him be filthy still. And that which is righteous, let him be righteous still. And that which is holy, let him be holy still. What do you mean, John? John, through inspiration, says, if you die and or the Lord returns, if you are in the position of being unjust, you'll still be unjust in eternity. If you are in the position of being filthy in eternity, you will remain filthy. If you're in the position of being holy, you will remain holy, however. But the gist is this, after death or the Lord's return, you cannot change at that point your destiny. You've got to change it beforehand. You must change it today. In Luke 16, we read of the account of the rich man and Lazarus. You remember there, the Lazarus was the beggar. He had lived a good life, apparently. He had done the best that he could with what very little he had. But the rich man who fared sumptuously had always disregarded others, had always laid up things for himself, had not cared at all for the beggar there that lied at his gate every day. And eventually, they both ended up in the, what we call the Hadean realm. The place of the disparted spirits. They were awaiting the final judgment. And you'll remember there that the rich man got to a point where he basically, he wanted to do over. He wanted to back up. He wanted to change his life. And it was too late. Then he then in turn begged, and could he please just go back for his family's sake? Send someone back even for his family's sake. Do that over. And he couldn't do it. Because whatever destiny you'll find today, for you may be your final destiny. It may be fearful. It may be fabulous. But it will be for you final if you died today. Now, how many of us can be certain we will not die today? Not one soul here. I've said it to myself a thousand times over that I'm not sure when I will die. But I know with every beat of my heart, I'm one beat closer to eternity somewhere. Every moment. So when we consider the words of Jesus. When he said enter ye in at the straight gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the way that leadeth unto destruction. And many there be that go in thereat. And straight is the gate and narrow is the way that leadeth unto life. And few there be that find it. Understand without a shadow of a doubt today there is a decision we must face. Understand, therefore, without a shadow of a doubt, there is a direction we must follow, a path that we can choose today. And then know for certain that in doing that, there is a destiny we must find. Whatever decision you make today will change the direction which you may walk, which in turn will determine the destiny that you will find. If you're here this morning, you're not a child of God's. Then I'll tell you without apology, that is my intention today, is to in some way, through the word of God, to encourage you to obey the gospel today. 
through faith, repentance, confession, and baptism, you today can put on Christ. You can have your sins to be washed away, and for you that would be a change of your destiny. And you could start down the straight and narrow, and you could follow after a path that's so wonderful, so delightful, that you'll never regret your decision. At least not in eternity. And if you're here this morning, you are a child of God's. And for whatever reason, you've stepped out of the way. You found yourself on some other path outside of what God would have you to be on. You can come home today through prayer and repentance. You can pray for forgiveness and have your sins to once again be washed. Won't you do that this morning? Why together we stand and as we sing.